Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. This week we're going to finish the teaching with a with a sermon, a teaching, a title, The Heart of Hearing. Now that's not heart of hearing, as many of us are. It's heart of hearing. Because I want us to know how to have a heart that can actually hear from God. How many of you guys want to hear from God? Amen. I, I did a sermon series one time titled, Yes, Lord, where I talked about how to hear from God. And I said, this, these are, this is how you hear from God. You can hear from God by the word. You can hear by, from God by sound counsel, by biblical preaching and teaching. You can hear from the word from God by his Holy Spirit. These are all true and incredible things. But you know what? If you don't learn who you need to be, to hear from God, it's not going to matter what God's saying to you because you're not going to hear it. I'm not talking to you today about how to hear from God, but how to be a person who can hear from God. We need to stop setting aside systems and say, who am I in regard to who I should be, and then become that according to the Word of God. Amen? So we're going to talk about hearing from God and why we should hear from God. There's three types of people in the world. There's those people that tell you, you can't hear from God anyway. The canonized word is God's will for your life, and if you need to know it, it'll find it in there. To those people, I say, how are you convicted of sin if God isn't speaking to you? How are you called to the pastorate or to whatever calling God has placed on your life if God doesn't still talk to you? God still talks to his people. And then there's those people who say, they have a word from God all the time. These are my favorite kind of people. They hear more, for, more from God than Abraham, Moses, David, Daniel, Jesus, Paul, and Peter all put together. Every time they talk to you, Pastor, I got a word from the Lord for you. And I'm all, no, no, you don't. You ain't got a word from the Lord for me. The last three words you gave me were crazy. But we still humble ourselves. I let them say what they're going to say. And what I found out is those people more often than not did hear from God, but it was in regard to something God wanted to tell them, not something he wanted to tell me. We should always filter what God hears, what we hear God say by the question, is he talking to me or is he talking for someone else? You're going to find 99% of the time he's talking to you. Don't try to fix somebody else's problem until you fix your own problem. And then finally, there's the 99.9% .9 of us. who wants to hear from God and believe that God wants to talk to us. That's me. Did you know I, I've been saved since 2006, which doesn't isn't a long time in the scope of reality in regard to how old I am. I turned 51 last week. Been saved 16 years, coming up on 17. Read my Bible. Since I got saved, two and a half hours a day. Because I had this foolish idea that if I tithed my money, God would bless it. And perhaps if I tithed my time, he'd bless that too. 
And can I tell you, I still need to hear more from God than I've heard already. And so do we. How do I ensure that I stay in a place where I can hear from God? Where my heart is receptive to what God has for me? That's what I hope to convey to you today out of Samuel, 1 Samuel specifically, chapters 2 and 3. If you want to go ahead and turn there, I'm going to get started. I'm going to make three points, just so you know. We've got several visitors in the room. I teach using bullet points because it helps you take notes. I could sit up here and ramble and carry on, and you wouldn't be able to keep up with it. But if I give you bullet points, then you can write it down, write down the verses, go home, study it, find out whether I'm telling you the truth or not. And if I'm not telling you the truth, come back and tell me. We'll debate it. And if you're wrong, I'll tell you you're wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'll tell everybody I'm wrong. Amen? So here we go. Number one, to have a heart of hearing. Hearing requires a pure heart. Hearing requires a pure heart. The impure heart is a heart that is set on the things of the flesh. The impure heart, I just told you, if you're going to hear from God, you need to have a pure heart. But I'm going to give you an example of an impure heart to show that impure hearts chase the things of the flesh and can't expect to receive anything from God. Because they aren't focused properly. They aren't aligned properly. To be pure of heart means to be to be have, have no ill intent, to chase after with pointedness. If I have a pure heart towards God, there is nothing between God and I that, I've, that I'm aware of. Now, there are probably some things between you and God and me and God, and it's the reason why I ask God to convict me about things that I haven't seen yet, and he's faithful to do that. But I have to chase a pure heart. But the first example that God gives us is the impure heart. Because the impure heart can't, can't receive from God. It is, in fact, set on the things of the flesh. Let me read this to you. 2, 12 through 17 reads like this. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Let me explain to you worthless. Worthless literally means... Who, the man who destroys has no good purpose and is wretched. When the Bible says, especially in the Old Testament, that that person is worthless, it means they are no good to anything anymore. They will go ahead and die and be consumed. In fact, the Scripture uses this word in the Old Testament 26 times. And all but just a couple of those times, the people that it is referencing die about middle age. And when I say middle age, I mean in their 30s or somewhere half of what they could expect to live, as is the case with Phineas and Hophni we're about to talk about. So when God says, listen, I'm done with you, you are wretched, you are horrible, in the Old Testament, we could expect that that person's lifespan was about to be cut short. Why? Because they had an impure heart, and I'm going to prove this to you. They did not know the Lord. And the custom of the priest with the people, when any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servants would come and say to the men, 
who was sacrificing, give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. If the man said to him, they must surely burn the fat first, which was the law, then they would take as much as you desire. Then he would say, no, but you shall give it to me now, for if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men were very great before the Lord. That's Phineas and Hophni, just so you know, Eli's sons was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. Skip down to verse 22. Now Eli was very old, and he heard all of his sons were doing to all of Israel, and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. These boys had some problems. Their hearts were impure. They ministered without knowledge. It says they didn't know the Lord, yet they were serving in the temple. They were hypocrites. If you'll look in the New Testament, Jesus had horrible things about the judgment of those who were hypocritical. That they couldn't expect to spend eternity in heaven. This is what we can expect if our heart is unpure, to not spend eternity in heaven. They didn't know the Lord, yet they ministered before the Lord. Let me tell you something, and this is just not being ugly. I'm just a very pointed pastor for those of you guys that are visiting, just so you know. I, I, I'm of a certain flavor. You either like it or you don't. But I tell you, when we walk into the church or when we walk around telling people we're Christian, they're going to believe us. And if they believe you and you're not actually acting like a Christian, you're being a hypocrite. You're being a hypocrite. You're not walking pure before the Lord. And you shouldn't expect to be able to receive anything from God because you're being double-minded. You're thinking or telling people that you're saved, that you're right, that you're righteous, that you're living according to the Word of God. But you're doing what it is you desire to do more than what God wants you to do. And there's judgment for that. Because we're living according to the flesh. Paul mentioned people like this Phineas and Hophni in Ephesians, or Calypso. Correction, Philippians, if I can find it. Pretty sure it's in the New Testament. Verses 3, 18 through 19 says this. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction. Let me address 18 real fast. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping. The people who call themselves holy, who aren't holy, who are living according to their own fleshly desires should break our heart. We should weep for them. We should desire better things for them to the point that we pull the gospel out of our mouth and give it to them. Amen? But then he goes ahead and he says this in verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. These people, these wretched people, these worthless people, their end is destruction because their God is their appetite. Whatever it is they want to fill themselves up on, they fill themselves up on, it doesn't matter whether or not it's, it's against Scripture or not. Not only that, but they glory in their shame. This is the world that we live in today. We live in the world where we glory in our shame. The world glories in its shame. We have parades to celebrate perversion and debauchery of every type. 
we have television shows and Christians watch them that celebrate debauchery of every type. And when we speak out against it, we're persecuted because we're not willing to glory in their shame. Can I tell you, just allow yourself to be persecuted because your end, should you glory in their shame, is destruction. We have to have a pure heart. Phineas and Hophni didn't have a pure heart. They were hypocrites. They didn't know the Lord. They misused the sacrifice, which was unto God. And they, they submitted themselves to their own sexual perversions and desires. And all of these things, and so many more, will separate us from God. Amen. Guys, we have to be pure. Because the Bible tells us to pursue purity. Now, you're all, man, I, I sin sometimes. Come on, me too, brother. I just, just so you all know, I, I try to be a very transparent pastor. I sin sometimes too. But you know what I do when I sin? I repent. And I'm not talking about a flipping, man, I'm sorry about that. I'm talking, I ask the Holy Spirit to dig that out of me. I mourn my sin. Bible says, blessed is the man who mourns, for he shall be comforted. That means understands the horribleness of his sin and is sad about it. And it should create sadness in us. That's good preaching right there, Pastor Jim. You might be off the point, but that's good preaching right there. Because if we sin, we're going to reap what we sow. Our, our destruction... Our, the harvest will be our destruction. Job 4, 8 says, According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble, sow trouble, harvest it. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm not looking to harvest destruction. I'd rather be like Samuel, who walked in purity, who understood if he's going to hear from God, he has to have a pure heart. At the very least, pursue purity. Everybody say, pursue purity. Come on. We should strive to be pure in everything that we do. Samuel was pure. It said since he was a child, he, wore, he ministered in the temple and wore the linen ephod. That doesn't seem like that big a deal until you realize that the linen ephod had heavy sacrificial significance. It was part of the priestly garment. Now, he wasn't a priest yet. He was still in training, which is the reason why he wasn't wearing the entire priestly garment. He was training in the ephod. He was training how to make a sacrifice. He was training how to intercede for other people. He was training about how to administrate the work of the temple. He was training about how to minister before the Lord. He was training himself to do what God called, himself, called him to do, and so should we. He was... A man with a pure heart. From the time he was a child, it said that his mama dropped him off at the temple right after he got weaned. Which means sometime between two and four years old, according to the time that they did weaning back then. Sometime between two and four years, she dropped him off at the temple, went and visited him once a year. And there he stayed training. What are you training for? Are you training for purity or impurity? Our job is to train in purity. To walk in the Spirit because of this. Galatians 6 8 says, For one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit 
will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If you reap to your flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not here to give you ten, ten ways to be more successful. But I am here to tell you ten ways that you can see the eternal, loving, glorifying face of the Father. And let me tell you, without pursuit of purity, that's not going to happen. We have to sow to the Spirit. Sadly, so many of us don't. Let me read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 10 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And you're all, come on, brother, preach. That's what I'm talking about, those homosexuals, those adulterers. These are big sins. They deserve hell. Hold on one second. Let me turn to Galatians chapter 5 for you real quick. Hurt your feelings. Galatians chapter 5, the only reason we ever want to go there is because we want to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. But let me tell you what it says before it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. It talks about the deeds of the flesh. They are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. What? That's not a big sin. It is to God because any sin in front of God is divine rebellion to the magnificent God. And then he continues. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Any of y'all been mad this week? Any of you guys mad habitually? Hmm, what? Disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. Man, I wish I had what they had. Drunkenness, carousing, things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice these things, these things that we want to talk about are small, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And I'm going to add comma either. Stop thinking you're high and mighty and righteous. You're either pure or pursuing purity or you're not. So to the spirit, not the flesh. For flesh is condemnation. You want to hear from God? Have a heart set on purity. You want to hear from God? Have a heart that is attentive and persistent. That's my point number two. Two through nine on chapter three reads like this. This is the piece that most people preach out of, the calling of Samuel. It says, It happened at the time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim, and he could not see well. He was getting old. His eyes were starting to get a little wonky. And the lamp, I don't know if wonky is the word, but you get the idea. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now a lot of people will tell you that that, that has some spiritual significance, but I'll tell you, I, I try to make the Bible say what the Bible says, and it's at night. Late in the night, probably, and so the actual oil that held the lamp that lighted the temple, that lamp had just about gone out. He's trying to tell you that it's late in the night, early in the morning. And it happened in the time that Eli was lying down in his place, verse 3, and the lamp of God had not gone out yet, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, that the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. Then he ran to Eli. And said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, that is Eli, I didn't call you. 
lie down again. So he went and lied down. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose, went to Eli. You want to know why he went to Eli? Because that's what his ears trained to. He's been doing this a long time. He's been laying in the floor of the temple for a long time. He knew Eli was getting old, couldn't see. It was dark outside. And whenever he needed something in the middle of the night, if he had to use the bathroom or insert whatever the issue is, he would call out to Samuel. And so his ear was trained to hear from Eli, not from God. We should train our ear. So anyway, this happens four times. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it should be called you, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called up to others, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And then he gave him the information, the revelation that he needed him to have. He was attentive and persistent in his heart. We weren't born knowing how to hear from God. I, I love spiritual people. Man, I hear from God all the time. That's great, man. But somebody had to teach you that. Spirit of God had to teach you that. And you learn that by being attentive, by cutting out the white noise in your life. In Habakkuk, if you'll read Habakkuk, it's one of my favorite minor prophets. In the first chapter of Habakkuk, he asks God six or seven questions. All of them are pretty difficult questions. How you let my enemy prosper, all this kind of stuff. He's really kind of fussy. And so he asks God these questions. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, the first thing Habakkuk does is he doesn't whine, God, I ask you these questions. How come you not answer me? It says instead that he went out to the rampart of the city, which has removed himself as far away from the city as he could, and waited on the rebuke from God. Perhaps we're not hearing from God for two reasons. One, because we haven't removed ourselves to the rampart of the city. We haven't removed ourselves from all the white noise of our life. People are all, I never hear from God. Your Bible's shut, your TV's on, your social media's open. Your relationships are loud and continuous and never stop. You never take the time to separate yourself, and then you wonder why God's not talking to you. God's trying to talk to you, but you're not listening. We have to be persistent and attentive. Just as Samuel was persistent and attentive to Levi, so we should be to God. I'm here to tell you, listen, it's not me. Go back, lay down, and the next time God calls you, say, yes, Lord. But you have to be in your quiet place to hear that. Amen? That's what I want from you. That's what God wants from you. He wants you to hear His voice. And we have a heart for hearing as we are persistent, as we are attentive to what He has called us to do. And when we're persistent, this is the promise that we have. Jeremiah 29, 12, and 13. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. You know how you search with all your heart? Keep your mouth shut. I love people, man. 
But they drive me crazy. They go in, they rush into their prayer closet or their car or wherever, and they pray. And just as soon as they shut their mouth, they leave that space. How many of you guys have asked God to answer a prayer for you? Did you give him time to answer the prayer for you? Or did you go, God, I need this from you. What do you think I should do about this? Oh, I got 37 likes on the Facebook. That's cool. We have to be persistent and attentive to the voice of God if we expect to hear God. And then finally, I think what this text shows us is that to hear from God, we have to be obedient to God. If you'll read, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but if you'll read chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, God tells Samuel something nobody wanted to hear. He said, I'm about to kill and destroy all of Eli's house. Man, that's hard. This ain't just some random dude he knows. It's the guy that essentially raised him. It's his mentor, his friend, his pastor. That next morning he wakes up. Man, you know he went to the breakfast table sober. Because he knows just as soon as he sits down at the breakfast table, Eli's going to be all, so I know God called you last night. What would he say? And that's exactly what Eli did. What would he say? Don't hold anything back from me. And if you do, may God heap it on you double. And what did he do? He told him what he said, even when it was hard to do it, because he was obedient. So many of us are all, well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, so I'm just going to tell them what they're doing is all right. It's not, it's not all right to do that. People going to hell all over the place, and you're telling them it's good. God just wants you to be happy. Come they come up to you, they say, I found, a new, I found a new girlfriend. Well, you're married. Well, I don't really like her anymore. Well, you don't like her anymore. No, God wants me to be happy. Well, you're probably right. I, I can't prove you're going to hell for telling them that, but you ought to go to hell for telling them that because you're sending them to hell. It ain't fair they go by their self. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? Because God cares less about your happiness and is more concerned with your holiness. Amen. Tell them, say, you stop doing that right now in the name of Jesus. You made a commitment to your wife. You made a commitment to do whatever it is you said you were going to do. You said you were going to be this. You said you were going to do that. You're not doing that. That's what a friend does. That's what a person with a pure heart does. That's what somebody that is obedient to the Word of God does. Because the Bible says wounds from a friend can be trusted, but it's an enemy that multiplies his kisses. And I'm not multiplying kisses on any of y'all. If it cuts you, it's supposed to. People say, you step on my toes all the time. It's not me, bro. It's the Word. And it's the Holy Spirit saying, you need to get that out of your life before it causes you to come to destruction. Ah, it's so good. I can prove this to you in Scripture. John 14, 21 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, which means that knows what I want and does it, is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. We have to be obedient. If we're obedient, we prove we love God. In our obedience, God proves he loves us and shows himself to us. I don't know about you guys, but I'd like to know more about God than I know right now. 
the only way that he's going to show me something new is if I do the thing that he's already told me to do. When I counsel folks, they come into the office, I tell them what to do. I say, hey, you need to do such and such. All right. They leave. They come back a week later for another counseling session. I said, hey, how'd, how'd that turn out? They go, oh, I ain't done that yet. Then get out of here. Why would I tell you something else if you're not doing the first thing I told you? Why would God show you something else if you're not doing the last thing he told you? Amen. There's an interesting story in your Bible about Judas. Have you guys seen these t-shirts? They're cute. He said, Judas ate too. Judas got his feet washed too. And that's supposed to make us feel good. God loved Judas enough. You know what? Judas never took the bread of life, and he's in hell right now. Judas may have got his feet washed, but his heart wasn't clean. Right after, and this is the point I'm trying to make to you, right after these things happened, his feeding and his washing, Jesus started his final discourse. What that means in the middle, about the middle of 13, Jesus starts telling his disciples the real plan for what he's got going on, that he's going to the cross, that he's leaving, that he's not going to be there, but that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And he continues that from 13 to the end of chapter 17 where he prays for them. Before he reveals that truth to them, he tells Judas, go do what you're going to do and dismisses him out of the room. You know why? Because why would he trust him with information if he can't trust him with the information he had? I want you to hear from God. God wants you to hear from him. But we have to be obedient. We have to be faithful to what we've heard if we expect to hear something else. So let me ask you, how is your heart? Is it pure or pursuing purity? Because we have to talk about grace. Fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ died to give us grace. Ain't none of us getting it right. I'll tell you from a very transparent place, I'm not getting it right all the time. But I chase right all the time. I'm persistent. I'm attentive to the voice of God. Amen? And I'm obedient. And when I'm not, I'm repentant. That's my prayer for you because I want you to hear from God too.